Well, hello and uh, welcome to the CSF Monthly Podcast for February 2020. And today I'm going to review two basic science papers from the four post papers uploaded to the CSF website this month. And as always, you can access detailed summary slides of the papers discussed online together with a summary by visiting sitekindsignaling.com. Now, the first paper evaluates Filgotinib's effects on biomarkers, uh, and particularly those that are, are key to, to rheumatoid arthritis path physiology. And the first author here is Jacqueline Tarn from Gilead Sciences in the United States. Well, the background you need to know here is that uh, JAK1 is one of a family of Janus kinases, JAK1, JAK2, JAK3, and TIC2. And it's we think JAK1 is probably involved in creating a whole range of pro-inflammatory effects uh, that, that subset cytokine biology in people with rheumatoid. So the inhibition of JAK1 is a pretty enticing proposition, and Fogotanib is a, a pretty JAK1 selective agent. And this particular study aimed to generate a hypothesis for the mechanism of action of Fogotanib by measuring biomarkers associated, for example, with pharmacodynamic activity, immune cell effects, clinical therapeutic responses, and some kind of pathogenetic effectors of tissue damage, and then pulling all of those biomarkers together to, to give us some idea of how Fogotanib might actually be doing its job. Now, these uh, biomarker and lymphocyte subsets were measured in Fogotanib treatment groups from two phase 2b studies, that's Darwin 1 and Darwin 2, respectively. Darwin 1 was Fogotinib and methotrexate, and Darwin 2 was Fogotinib monotherapy. Uh, the evaluation was done in serum samples collected at baseline, week 4, week 12, from Fogotinib 100 milligrams, Fogotinib 200 milligrams, and placebo treatment arms. And 34 biomarkers were measured by validated single or multiplex amino acids. The lymphocyte subpopulations were quantified at baseline, and weeks 1, 2, 4, 8, and 12 by flow cytometry using a pretty standard methodology. So what are the key results? Well, Fogotinib induced significant dose-dependent reductions in the following biomarkers. First of all, IL-6 and uh, serum amyloid A. SAA is generally considered linked to IL-6 expression. Uh, IL-6 drives the acute phase reaction, and, and SAA is a principal acute phase reactant. Uh, and that would be compatible with the idea of JAK1 signaling inhibition. Uh, B-cell chemotractant and survival activation markers, CXCL13 and BAF, also uh, were reduced. And this is despite an increase in circulating B-cell number following forgotten treatment. So that suggests there's some fundamental change in the way in which B-cell recirculation is being regulated. And we've seen that with other JAK inhibitors, so that's not particularly surprising. But also in other uh, factors involved in cellular recruitment, uh, CXCL10, CXCL13, these are chemokines, VCAM and ICAM1, which are larger adhesion molecules which regulate the way in which cells make decisions about where they're going to go and how long they're going to stay there once they get there. Now, Fogotinib also uh, reduced cytokines important for the expansion activity of Th1, Th2, Th17, uh, lymphocytes, B cells, and also regulatory B cells and regulatory T cells, and also myeloid cells compared to placebo, which is pretty much across the board inhibition, so nothing terribly remarkable there. And there were dose-related increases in lymphocyte subsets in the Fulgotinib-treated groups, uh, which recovered to baseline levels by week 12, so an early rise, and then they come back down to their baseline levels over three months 
The only group that was different were the, the B cell numbers in the Darwin 1 study. Um, and this was significant elevation of B cell numbers sustained through week 12 of methotrexate co-therapy. Uh, the trend was also evident in monotherapy. Uh, with sustained B-cell increases of similar magnitude noted with, for example, baricitinib and tofacitinib were not particularly surprising about this. I think we do need to start understanding just how different Janus kinase inhibition pathways do alter lymphocyte circulation. I think this is about where are the cells rather than are the cells being made, although clearly we'd like to see what's going on in the bone marrow as well. There were transient increases in total lymphocyte count, T-cells, uh, and NK cells, and those were confined mainly to the first two weeks of therapy with fulgotinib. And we've seen this transient change in other clinical trials in which JAK inhibitors have been given to people with rheumatoid. There was relative sparing of the NK cell count, and that is a little different from what we've seen from other JAK inhibitors, but I'd like to see more data and just be sure that that's a true result, and not just some anomaly of this particular clinical trial. And there were no significant differences observed between fulgotinib monotherapy and fulgotinib in combination with methotrexate in the biomarker modulation, save that one example I gave you above. Well, what do we draw from all of this? Well, it looks like fulgotinib downregulates key inflammatory mediators of signaling pathways that are likely to be related to the pathogenesis of rheumatoid arthritis. It doesn't look as if it's absolutely dependent on methotrexate background therapy for that effect. And that's what we would expect because the drug has monotherapy benefits. And it also is compatible with a, a pretty strong role for JAK1 in driving the autoimmune and matrix cartilage degeneration pathways that we see in people with rheumatoid and angiogenesis and, and leukocyte recruitment as well. Uh, of course, JAK1 works as heterodimers. So whether JAK1 is dominant or whether it's simply telling us again what we know about the JAK1 superfamily and the way it mediates cytokine function is, a, is an open question. Uh, we also saw um, effects on immune factors common to tofacitinib and baricitinib, and that's particularly in, in, in involving increases in total lymphocyte count and the sustained elevation in B-cell numbers, which to my knowledge at least is as yet uh, not fully understood. But it gives us some insight into how the, the JAK inhibitors as a family are working. It does look as if JAK1 inhibition is going to confer real advantage to patients. And we need to now do further experimental medicine. We need to understand exactly how the JAK1 inhibitors interfere with the cytokine hierarchy, with the, the functional mediation that cytokines have on the wider immune profile and disease. Now, turning to the second paper I want to highlight is the evaluation of the inhibition of JAK1 relative to JAK3 by upadacitinib with comparisons to tofacitinib. And this is a study led by Mohammed Islam uh, Mohammed from Abbey, again based in the United States. Key background here, well, uh, the JAK1, as we've just discussed, is a viable target in people with rheumatoid arthritis. And in this case, upadacitinib has demonstrated inhibitory potential in vitro to JAK1 and lower potency to JAK3 compared to tofacitinib. Um, that at least is the contention of the authors. And the study here wanted to evaluate the greater selectivity of upadacitinib for JAK1 over JAK3 compared to tofacitinib and, and really see if that translated in, in the human. And this was an ex vivo stimulation of STAT3 phosphorylation by IL-6 as a measure of, of JAK1 activity, and STAT5 phosphorylation by IL-7 as a measure of JAK1, JAK3 activity. 
uh, drug plasma concentrations in ex vivo IL-6-induced phosphostat-3 and IL-7-induced phosphostat-5 in blood was collected from subjects evaluated in two phase one studies and the mixture of healthy subjects and subjects with mild to moderate RA who received immediate release of paracetinib 1, uh, 48 milligrams, tofacitinib 5, uh, MIGS BID and, uh, and placebo were evaluated. There's an exposure response model built using pharmacokinetic parameters, and this is a stepwise approach to stimulate the effects of IL-6-induced phosphostat-3 and IL-7-induced phosphostat-5. And the key results here, well, uparacitinib and tofacitinib demonstrated reversible and concentration-dependent inhibition of phosphostat-3 and phosphostat-5 in both healthy subjects and subjects with RA. And commensurate with in vitro results, the ex vivo pharmacodynamic assay showed a greater cell activity of uparacitinib on JAK1 versus JAK3 compared to tofacitinib. Um, for example, UPA 3 megs bid had a similar inhibitory effect on phosphostat-3 to TOFA 5 megs bid UPA 12 milligrams BID had a similar inhibitory effect and phosphostat 5 to TOFA 5 milligrams BID. So this uh, study seems to confirm in humans that uparacitinib has greater cell activity for JAK1 versus JAK3 relative to the approved dose of tofacitinib. And above 12 milligrams, uh, uparacitinib begins to lose its JAK1 cell activity. So quite how that's going to play out with a 15 milligram uh, dose in, in patients, we, we need to wait and see. Uh, the other thing I guess we could draw from this is that maximizing the efficacy of JAK inhibitors in the treatment of rheumatoid doesn't necessarily require maximizing inhibition of IL-6 signaling in vivo. Uh, immediate release UPA doses of greater than 6 mg BID resulted in greater inhibition of ex-vivo phosphostat-3. And this greater inhibition doesn't necessarily translate into greater clinical efficacy based on clinical endpoint results of the equivalent extended release doses of upadacitinib 15 or 30 milligrams. So again, this is really important and interesting information. It's great to have this in the public domain so we can really start to evaluate what the relative selectivity of these JAK inhibitors means in terms of clinical consequences. That's really a major question for this age. Now, there's one other publication covered this month on our website authored by Giovanni Orsolini, which looks at the relationship between the immune system and skeleton before uh, going on to examine the involvement of the JAK-STAT signaling in bone homeostasis. Uh, you can expect an author interview in this paper with uh, Dr. Orsolini and Peter Nash later this month. It's always good to hear Peter interrogating the author. It's always a fascinating evaluation. Uh, to keep up to date with the latest updates made to the EULAR recommendations for the management of RA, please visit the CSF website to watch the newest course to find out about new developments and how these recommendations will reach. It's a really fascinating discussion uh, led by Joseph Smolin, who has been the architect of that recommendation update, and gives you some sense not only of what the recommendations say, but also why we got to the conclusions that we arrived at. And having that deeper insight, I think, will help you in your interpretation and use of those in clinical practice. Now, remember that all the content I've discussed this month is available in more detailed slide format in the publications section at cytokinesignaling.com. The slides are terrific. I, I use them. I suggest you do too. And as always, thanks ever so much for your attention. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and make sure to let us know what you think by leaving a review. So thanks ever so much for your attention. I hope this has been useful to you just as we increase our understanding of this fascinating new class of drugs. <laughs>